Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And this episode is brought to you by the Nevia by Moen Quattro Shower, Masterclass, and ExpressVPN. You'll hear about those in a moment. Joining me this week for a one-on-one sparring session, my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How you doing, William? It's not how you sold it to me, sparring. I thought this was a That's friendly right. chat. I was going to confess things to you, but now if it's all adversarial, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, William, I figure everything we do is sparring, you know? It's a, it's a tit-for-tat, as they say over there in the, in the UK, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't know if you uh, caught my interview, William, but we actually had a special interview episode earlier this week. James Cridland, who runs the website and newsletter podnews.net, he came on the show, and we had a meta-podcast about podcasting. It was a lot of fun, but he's from your neck of the woods, William. He's from the UK. James in the UK. Let's see, do I know him? Um, you couldn't <laughs> narrow it down a little bit. Well, he's actually been living in Australia for like years and years. So I don't think you're around the corner from him. Yeah. I think I offended him because I asked him if his accent was British or Australian. But I mean, let's let's be honest. For the rest of the world, William, how would one, without someone saying Foster's Australian Fabia, how would someone tell the difference between a UK and an Australian accent? Yeah, I am... Um so deeply not the person to uh, i don't hear accents i a uh, voice is uh, someone's voice so i was uh, actually back at bbc news a friend i worked with for four years told me she was leaving the job to go home and i just asked her where that was i thought she was gonna say london manchester somewhere nearby and the entire office the whole newsroom stopped and looked at me <laughs> because she had the broadest australian accent Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm accent blind, I'm afraid. It's uh interesting. Yeah, you're Dutch, right? Mm, Puerto Rican, but sure, we'll go with Dutch. That's <laughs> close enough. All right, well, let's talk about some Apple news and then we have some fun stuff later to talk about. Had a bunch of listener questions and responses. Want to talk about some of our recent utilities on the Mac and what we're using there. Mm. So, we'll get to that in a moment, but first, want to cover quick rumor this came from leaker Dylan KT on Twitter. He claimed that the M2 chip, which has been rumored and we imagine will come eventually, that will be arriving in 2022. So early next year that we'll see an M2 chip, but it will be in the likes of a MacBook Air. Other rumors have said that the new MacBook Air would be different colors, much like the new iMacs, and that the M2 chip is really for that lower line of computers like the MacBook Air, the base level Mac Mini, base level MacBook Pro, and the M2 is not the M1X which is reserved for pro devices like 14, 16-inch MacBook Pro or iMac Pro. So again, just another piece of information. This is a rumor. We talked about the colorful MacBook Air, I think, at one point a month ago. But you're holding out for that M1X still. Is that right? I'm holding out for the 14-inch MacBook yes. Pro. I'll take whatever M is in it. But it sounds oh, like it's sure. going to be the X, M1X, yes. Yeah, and I'm... I don't know, I'm torn because I am also wanting the M1X, the more powerful MacBook Pro. But it would seem strange on a surface level to have an M1X 14-inch MacBook Pro sometime this year in 2021, and then an M2 MacBook Air come out later. I feel like for the common customer, and maybe this is the whole point, is that the M1X is not for the average consumer, but the pros, that it would be weird to have an M1X, which is the powerful computer, and the M2 in like the MacBook Air line, I feel like someone walking into an Apple store would say, you know, I want a powerful computer. And they say, well, you want the M1X. And then they look over here and they say, well, that's an M2. Isn't that newer or better? I don't know. I feel like that would cause some Mm. confusion. Do you think? Yes. 
And that's one of the things I've liked about Apple in the past is that they don't call things like the the Dell PC 78924-6 something. There's always, you know, (laughs) at least vaguely rememberable about it. Um, But I suppose Apple tends not to refer to the processors at the point of sale uh, for it. It's the MacBook Air. Yeah. And it's this much faster than the last one. It's that many colours. That's true. Um, Yes, it would confuse me, potentially. But I suppose, would it? Actually, we're the audience that's looking out for this. So we'd know. Once we've been told, once we'd know. And anybody else who doesn't care probably won't have to care. Right. So I can see it happening. But it'd be nice if Apple just, you know, renumbered them all to make sense. Or maybe they'll... uh do a switch it and reverse it and they won't call it the m1x i have not seen any rumors about this so i have no basis for this but for that pro level chip i wonder if it could use a different letter you know i know they have the a series and the ax series and the iphone and ipads for a long time but to have m1 and then maybe i mean they're not going to do n p <laughs> no there's not that many cool letters left i mean they've used x and os 10 they've used s and h for some of their chips they've used m and a, I don't know. What's a cool letter, William? What would be what would be a W W, w for William? Clearly, there's already the W one chip. Oh, that's the wide W G William Gallagher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now the G one for extra graphics power. <laughs> Maybe the G one. You never know. Oh, I don't think they would use. G1. We have probably just uh, done as much work as some of the leakers <laughs> who put this stuff out there. We could set this out now and be proven wrong only in two right. years' time. I'll let you tweet out the G1 processor. <laughs> okay. That can be your leak. I like it. Thanks. All right. Well, we'll put a link to that article in show notes. You can read that. Also, as a cautionary tale to beta testers, there was an iOS 15 HomePod update that you can't get get this like publicly available, or even if you're a developer, you kind of have to be invited for these audio-specific betas, like on a HomePod. But the iOS 15 HomePod beta was actually causing overheating issues in some HomePods, even to the point of getting damaged. And if someone updated to that beta, they would have had to unplug their HomePod device for fear that it would, no, no one catched on fire, but that there would be some kind of heat damage from it. So not that you can't accidentally download this beta, so you don't have to worry, listener, but just as a cautionary tale, watch out for those betas. What betas are you running right now, William? We're in this beta cycle. I think I need to confess something. Oh? You just said you can't accidentally download this as well. You kind of can. It takes an awful lot of stupid steps. But at some point last year, and truly, who knows why, I had to get on the, the late beta for Big Sur to write about something. I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. The what? The beta for Big Sur. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So the beta. How do you say it? <laughs> oh, that, sorry. I know. There's a whole part of the world that says beta. Yes. James Cridlin said beta when he was on the show. So, okay. I get it. Beta, <laughs> beta, tomato, tomato. Okay, right. sorry, I honestly thought you were uh, questioning me over Big Sur. I thought, hang on, have I got all these mixed up again? Uh, no, no, no. I was sparring. For whatever reason, I had to do this, and it meant I got the, the beta release and did whatever it was, totally forgot about it. And then uh, at some point a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got fed up of system preferences nagging me to update. It was saying, there's an update to Big Sur, there's an update to Big Sur. And usually, you know, I noticed it at the start of the day, haven't got time. This time I thought, right, I want to try out the new Safari technology preview. It's got the tab mm-hmm. things. I allowed it to happen. I clicked on the yes, update Big Sur button. And when I came back to my desk the next morning, 
Mac OS Monterey was on my oh work Mac. Oh, my goodness. So have you been running Monterey on your M1? Yep, for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I was terrified. I've had the smallest of problems, so just the tiniest one that I solved in a second, and otherwise it's been rock solid. This is developer beta one, and I love it. Please, <laughs> oh, okay. please stop me doing this deliberately in future. But given that it was an accident, I feel okay about this. And I've so far survived. So, wow, that's yeah. great. Have you tried out shortcuts on macOS Monterey? Oh, you bet I have. Yes. Ooh. And uh, there's a couple that I use a lot during Apple Insider work, actually, that are working perfectly. And, and it's a treat to be able to do it right here at the Mac instead of uh, sending stuff out to my iPhone and back again. And, and there are others that aren't working for some reason that I can't fathom, but you know, it's a beta process, so right. we'll see what happens. Oh man, um, that shortcuts on the Mac, they have tempted me, but I, I have not done it yet because I don't have an M1 computer that I can just like put it on. I have yeah. my main MacBook Pro that I do everything, and I've, I've just been wary of doing it, but I don't know. Your experience may tempt me. I don't have a spare M1 either. I wasn't going <laughs> to do this. Yeah. Right. I, actually, I seriously love advice on this. Um, because it hasn't died and it hasn't gone horribly wrong, right. I'm leaving it exactly as it is. But of course, now there's developer beta 2 and people are saying that's good and it actually adds some shortcut stuff. Right. Uh, should I stay on beta 1 and, you know, count myself lucky or, or go for it? Risk the world. If you're on the beta train by accident or on purpose, I would stay on the latest betas because, you know, the whole point is they're fixing bugs as they go and weird things. So if you're on the beta train, I would get to the latest beta as fast as possible. That's my opinion. Okay. Wise words. I will do that the moment we've stopped talking. See, in fact, in fact, <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> no, no, we got a whole show. That's exciting, though. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear more. Maybe next time on the show, we could talk more about the shortcuts in macOS Monterey. That's pretty cool. I'd love to. Yes. Well, I wanted to cover this. Facebook <laughs> commissioned an app study, and you actually had this article. So yes. I'll hear from you in a second. But Facebook commissioned this study because they are trying to poke more holes in Apple's App Store like lockdown system arguments. And this study shows the top 20 used applications on iOS and Android. So Facebook's kind of attacking both, but mainly Apple because of the whole app tracking transparency thing that came out in iOS 14 and all that. And basically there's a graph here in the study of the top used apps. And Facebook's argument is that because Apple's platform, the iPhone, because they can pre-install all of their Apple apps, like Apple Weather, Apple camera, clock, messages, all this kind of stuff, that it is non-competitive and that it is not giving other apps the ability to have, like, be first choice for most customers. Yes. And I have so many issues with this study and this this whole idea. First of all, I, fi- I mean, Facebook is literally on this list as one of the top 20 apps that are used on the iPhone. No other social network is even close. Well, Instagram is down there, but again, that's Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hilarious. I feel like they are not proving their point by releasing this chart. But anyway, you had the article, William. T- talk to me. What exactly is this all about? Oh, uh, let uh, count the ways. This is. Shall we? No, let's go with it. It is dodgy. Yeah. Uh, you could. We could just stop with Facebook paid. You know, that would be it. But right, right. <laughs> what they actually paid for was for this study to be done in December 2020, uh, surveying users in uh, who 
during their of their usage in November, and they they well they're talking about it as if they've released the report now, but they still haven't. They've just leaked a bit uh, to the Verge right. first, so the full report is still not available into the seventh month afterwards. <laughs> Nobody knows. How, except for Apple and Google, how many people actually use Apple and Google's apps? It is not possible to know. So most of this, not all, but most of it is based on a survey of 4,000 users or around 4,000. We don't even know the exact number. Oh, we don't word. know uh, any of the demographics of age, gender, location. Uh, I think it was all US, but I don't know. Even though those things can be very interesting. We also have Massive things like we don't know how many people were on iPhone and how many were on Android. And there, <laughs> there has to be something absurdly screwy with the questions asked because uh, the number one app on iPhone is phone. And <laughs> apparently no one on Android calls anybody. And it's just right. Yeah, this this is. Yeah. No, I don't think the full report's going to be released. And Apple came as close as they could to mocking it. Uh, narrowly tailored, uh, wasn't it? And seriously flawed. Right. Uh, but it's just absurd is the word of this. And So Apple's statement said, quote, this Facebook finance survey from December 2020 was narrowly tailored. Like you said, give impression that there's little competition on the App Store. Quote, in truth... Third-party apps compete with Apple's apps across every category and enjoy large-scale success, end quote. And I feel like that's Apple's statement, and it is true. I mean, yes, Apple has their stock weather app, on the iPhone at least. They still don't have it on the iPad, which still drives me crazy. But anyway, Apple has their stock weather app, but it is not like there is no weather apps in the App Store and that people don't download them and use them. I mean, carrot weather, dark sky until Apple purchased them, but you got carrot weather, Weatherline, AccuWeather, the Weather Channel app. I see very common users of the iPhone use these third-party weather apps. Mm -hmm. And the question I feel like this brings up is, is Facebook trying to imply that someone should buy an iPhone, open it up, set it up for the first time, and there not be any stock apps available on it? Or that Apple would somehow put the Weather Channel app on there first and make users go get their weather app from the App Store? Like, I feel like of all the advantages we would say Apple and Google should get from their platforms being on these phones that they have made, like the Pixel and the iPhone, is, it, yeah, put these stock Apple apps on there. For many, for many people, those apps are actually a benefit. Like, one of the reasons people buy Macs is because you get GarageBand mm. and iMovie, pages, numbers, and Keynote all for free. You don't have to buy those apps separately after you buy a Mac. And those are powerful applications. With other computers, you have to buy Office or the Adobe Suite. There might be free tools like Audacity on Windows, but, but GarageBand and iMovie are powerful. And these apps that Apple gives you also are not like bad apps. I mean, you can argue about weather or the news app or whatever, but Apple, like part of the benefit of buying an iPhone is getting Apple's apps because they are good. The anti-competition argument in this study specifically kind of falls on its face. This is the second time that Facebook has uh, at least sponsored partly, if not paid for fully, a report that's somewhat Facebook serving. Right. Um, I can't remember. I can't, I've actually blocked from my mind who did it before, but they were seemingly respectable academics who I think uh, have now kind of coloured, tainted all of their research in future. And uh, this lot, I'm not going to pay as much attention to news from these research companies as I might have done yesterday, for example, right, because right. of this. But I also think it's ironic that the eighth most used app, according to this study on iOS, is the App Store. 
which <laughs> is where people that. go to get <laughs> third-party apps to do things that they want to do, where they can get weather apps and other mail apps and all that. So that's very ironic and hilarious. And also, again, just to reiterate, Facebook is here as the 9, 10, 11, 12, 13th most used app on the iPhone, which apart from YouTube, they are the first or they are the second third party, the second most popular third party app used. So you got YouTube, then you got Facebook, then you have Amazon. These are just the third party ones. I'm kind of going down in this chart. And then you have Instagram. So in this top 20, Facebook is two of the 20. Google is also two of the 20. And then you got Amazon. So I don't know. I just think it's hilarious trying to be cagey about this study and being self-serving. I feel like it's Hmm. almost backfired on it. So I don't know, just hilarious data in my opinion. This episode is brought to you by the Nebbia by Moen Quattro Shower. That's right. We've talked about the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower in the past, but Nebbia has a brand new shower. It's actually right now on Kickstarter, and it's called the Nebbia by Moen Quattro. Now listen, I have been using the Quattro for the past couple months. I got it early, and I have to tell you, I love this shower experience. First of all, it installs super easy. You just unscrew the old shower head. I screw in this shower head. It took me probably five minutes and you're up and running. And what's so cool is this is one of those detachable shower heads. So not only do you know you're saving water because we know that's what Nebbia is all about. The Quattro actually saves up to 50% of water compared to other shower heads. And it's the world's best high pressure water savings shower head. And get this, it starts at just $99 right now if you back it on Kickstarter. You remember Tim Cook was one of their first investors and developers from NASA, Tesla, and Apple have worked to create the Nebbia showers. And right now the Quattro is on Kickstarter. You would not believe they are closing in on $1 million and 4,600 backers. Now, the shower experience, incredible. What I love about the Quattro is you actually get four different shower settings. If you get one, just so you know, my personal favorite setting is the second from the top or the, I don't know, one, two, three, four, if you're counting down the side, it's number two. That setting is apparently the hard spray setting. Between that and the angel hair, which is that top setting, I love both of those. I'll go back and forth as I take the shower. It feels like water is coming from everywhere as I take a shower. It is a great temperature. It gets really hot if you like it like that. It rinses everything. Honestly, I find that it rinses better than a normal shower head. Coming to the Quattro, I just love taking a shower. And because it's detachable, you can take it off. It uses a super powerful magnet. Like you just hold a shower head a little close to the head and it automatically attaches. I love that. But you could take it off, use the shower head however you want, handheld, and put it right back to finish your shower experience. I love the Quattro. So right now you can get your Nebbia by Moen Quattro now only on Kickstarter. And for a limited time, you pre-order, the pricing is just $99. That's a 30 plus dollar savings. And early backers will get theirs as soon as September 2021. That's just a couple months away as the recording of this podcast. Again, I've been using the Quattro and absolutely love it. Head on over to the link in the show notes. You can click there, go right to the Kickstarter. That'll help out Apple Insider and you'll upgrade your shower experience. Our thanks to Nebbia for sponsoring this episode. Well, let's get into some fun stuff. I wanted to talk about some accessory we've been using, some utilities, and then answer a bunch of listener questions. You guys sent in some awesome stuff. So first of all, I wanted to touch on charging docks. And the first one, I don't have this one, but we covered it on Apple Insider. Andrew wrote it up and we'll put a link to it. But this is a new Kensington Studio Caddy charging dock. You can recharge up to four Apple devices automatically. It's got a little Qi area for some AirPods. 
and an iPhone that can be stood up vertically. Plus, it's got two little slots where you can put iPads and such, and even a MacBook if you want. Pretty cool device, but it made me think of my solution for my kids' devices. And again, this is not just kids' devices, but if you have a bunch of Apple devices, maybe you're in an office situation, or you just want a place where you can put a bunch of Apple stuff to charge, I actually got this thing on Amazon, and it is a wooden bamboo charging station. It's only 19 bucks. You can actually get 5% off right now. I just went to it on Amazon. I'll put a link to this in show notes. But this little wooden bamboo charging thing, it has one, two, three, four slots where you can put iPhones or iPads. My kids put their iPads in there. And there's this little attachment that goes onto the back of the wooden dock where you can put an Apple Watch charger and an AirPods where you can slot those in. And what's cool is this comes with some of these really short cables, these like one foot or shorter cables. So you can put the cables into the hidden wooden box into a charger, and it's a pretty clean look. If you wanna charge a bunch of Apple devices, all you really see is this wooden thing. So that's cool. You do need to buy a charging brick separately. And for that, I recommend checking out some of the Anchor power banks, and you can get either USB 2.0, or if you wanna get USB-C, whatever, but the ones that come with the wooden bamboo thing is USB-A. So I recommend saving some money, getting like one of these Anchor, like 10 port USB-A chargers, putting that in the wooden bamboo dock, and then you can charge a bunch of Apple devices all at once, and it's a clean look. And you have that, and I would say the other thing that I still love and I talk about pretty often is the Belkin three-in-one charger, where you can charge your MagSafe iPhone, you charge your Apple Watch and AirPods and a little Qi thing at the bottom. William, you still using the uh, Belkin 3-in-1 charger? I am, and I like it very much. I'm relieved to say you talked me into buying it. For a minute there, I thought you were going to talk me into the bamboo one as well, but <laughs> no, no. not sure. No, no, no. No. <laughs> no, it's, it's mainly for like, you know, if you have kids' devices or if you work at a school or some business where you have yeah. like a bunch of iPads and stuff. And they also have like rolling cage stuff type carts where you can put like 50 iPads and there's like power strips down the side and all this kind of stuff. So you can really find some serious stuff. But if you have kids or if you just have a bunch of Apple devices, you want to cleanly charge somewhere, maybe put it in your kitchen or something. So when you're working in there, you can charge your stuff. I really like those kind of wooden bamboo solutions. So what is, uh, what does your spouse use? Did you get her three in one or did she use something else for her like charging situation? No, I did get her uh, a key, chi, however you say it, charger for her iPhone SE, which she leaves in the living room to kind of top it up in the evenings. But overnight, she had, I can't remember how old this is, six, seven years old, a uh, lightning um, stand that holds her, uh, so found in her iPad. Uh, oh, and then there is an Apple Watch attachment for it. So she slots all of those in. And uh, mine, well, it, I do the same thing, except she has to sl carefully slot it on to the cables, and I just casually drop mine onto the magnetic <laughs> part and look smug. Uh, that's, that's, that's the difference there. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I'm, my wife is still on the iPhone 11, and I got her a MagSafe Duo thinking it would work okay, mm. but it really doesn't. Yeah. Like, if you knock it off just a little bit, like, it just doesn't charge. So she uses the MagSafe Duo to charge her Apple Watch and then plugs in her phone. I'm like, can I just get you a 12 just so we can use this MagSafe thing? I know that is totally backwards and it's ridiculous, but she's like, no, my iPhone 11 is fine. I don't need the 12. It's like, a very oh. good phone, the 11. So yes, I'm with her. Yeah. yeah, it's a very good phone. Okay. Well, anyway, I'll put links to that stuff in show notes if you're looking for charging stuff. And 
I wanted to touch on some utilities that I have been using and one that you actually did an official review for on Apple Insider. But first one, my menu bar was getting a little out of hand. And I have the 13-inch MacBook Pro M1 and the menu bar icons were like encroaching into the menu columns of some apps where there was like barely any space between them. I said, all right, I got to do something about this. And so, you know, this is because I have do not disturb turned on most of the time on my Mac. So that's a little moon icon. You have the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, sound settings and all that. But then I have a paste bot icon in the menu bar for my clipboard manager. I have one password. I have fantastic gal. I have text expander. I have one of your favorite utilities, Hazel. Mm -hmm. I have a Keysmith like multi-step macro recorder that's in the menu bar. And then I begin some Elgato stuff, which we'll talk about in a second, but I have the Elgato, the stream deck icon in the menu bar and the Elgato light controls. And then if you open an app like Skype, you have the Skype in there too. It's just, it was so many icons. And I said, I have to do something about this. And so I looked up the trusty bartender application. I'd heard about it many times in the past. I said, let me check it out. Bartender four, I downloaded it, I bought it. It's amazing. Bartender, the, the setting I have right now is it hides all the menu icons until I drag my mouse up into the menu bar and then they all appear basically instantly. And then I can click on whatever I need to, interact with it as I need, and that's it. And then when I move my mouse out of the menu bar, it hides all the icons except for these three little dots that I can click on if I want to, to reveal everything. And it just cleans up the whole menu bar and I love it. So Bartender, I recommend, I'll put that link in show notes. Do you use any kind of menu bar management application, William? Uh, I did use, well, I suppose I still do use Bartender. I have it running, but I now have a monitor that takes an hour for you to walk from one side to the other. So uh, <laughs> I can let all the menus think. That, well, two points about what you just said. One is you use do not disturb. That's so passe. Some of us are, are on focus mode uh, in Mac OS Monterey. Now, by accident. Know. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> I see. I see how it is. And the other one is, um, yes, Bartender hides all these things. But if you say uh, Dropbox, if you have Dropbox hidden, oh, yeah. but Dropbox is updating, it will bring it up and show it to you while it's in use. Mm. So it's never that you forget something, never that you don't see something useful. Bartender is brilliant, and, and I, I love it. I'm looking yeah. at it at right now. I should use it more than I do. Yeah, and you can even like move if you there's certain icons that you really want to see all the time. You can drag those to like the right side of the bartender little icon and those will always be up there. I actually have my control center that way. So even if uh, everything in the menu bar is hidden, I still see the control center icon and I can click that plus the date and time. Obviously, I want that all the time. But you can customize spacing, order, you can have like a drop down little menu bar if you have a ton of icons. So anyway, very flexible, pretty cool. You can also get Bartender through SetApp, which has been a sponsor in the past. Mm. You can go to setapp.com slash Apple Insider. They didn't sponsor this show, but you can actually get Bartender as a part of their deal. So that's the utility I've been using. And I also wanted to talk about this. This is not so much a software utility, but a hardware utility, which is the Elgato Stream Deck. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Guys, I love Masterclass. It's an online learning platform where you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay 
You can learn about acting from Samuel L. Jackson or about movie making from James Cameron. You've heard me talk about some of my favorites before. I love learning about music scoring and composition from Hans Zimmer, who has written some of the soundtrack for some of the most incredible movies. I also love the course with Chris Voss and the art of negotiation, especially if you're a freelancer or you deal with clients. I highly recommend that. But now, this new course from James Cameron. You can see him talk about scenes from the movies he's directed in the past, how he teaches filmmaking, and it's incredible because you can see the scene while he's teaching about it, you hear his commentary. I love it. The quality of every masterclass course is second to none. It just looks great, sounds great. I love watching them on my phone. And then if I hop in the car or need to switch into audio only mode, there's a little toggle I can switch and listen to the lesson. Every lesson is just about 10 to 15 minutes long. So you can watch one on a lunch break or binge watch an entire course. You can get Masterclass on your iPhone, your iPad, apps on your Apple TV, or just watch it in a web browser. And they even have downloadable supplemental material. So if you do a cooking class, like with Gordon Ramsay, you get downloadable documents that are basically like the level of a high-end cookbook. It's so much fun. I highly recommend you try it. You can get unlimited access to every Masterclass. And as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. And you want to do the annual membership so you get access to all the classes. You can watch as many as you want. Go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. You'll find that link in show notes. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. Not so much a software utility, but a hardware utility, which is the Elgato Stream Deck. Now, we started doing some video podcasts at Apple Insider and experimenting with that. And so I said, you know what? I want to be cool like all the cool kids who do the streaming and all that. And so I said, let me get one of these stream decks and see what the hype is all about. I got it. I was a little disappointed that it was USB-A. I was hoping it was USB-C, but that's okay. Connects via USB-A to your computer or dock or whatever you have you. And then you have like a bunch of buttons that you can customize to do different actions or shortcuts in different apps. And you, William, actually reviewed this for Apple Insider. What did you think about it before you got it and then after using it? Well, the reason I got it was I kept hearing about it and I'm thinking, well, I don't stream. People are saying that doesn't matter. I do stream now as it happens, but it's coincidentally. Um, so <laughs> I just, I couldn't really quite grasp what it did. And for people who did stream, what they were using it with, because there were clearly other software involved. And yes, there's other things. So I got the Stream Deck. I tried it out. Within about a week, I regretted the fact that I've got the one with, is it 60? 15 buttons. 15 buttons. Because yeah. there's a 32 now, and <laughs> uh, and I lust after it. <laughs> but yeah, I have uh, one Apple Insider button. I press that, and it changes all the other buttons to Apple Insider work. So uh, I have a start button on it that opens up all the apps I use for it. It goes to certain websites I have to check into, logins, details, things like that. And I have a video recording Final Cut Pro uh, editing series of buttons that make uh, all the kind of common stuff you do in Final Cut Pro, even just exporting to YouTube is one button now instead of clicking on the menu. And I know that sounds like nothing, but uh, okay. How about this? Um, I run Zoom workshops now and through Stream Deck and other software, uh, I have a multi-camera setup so I can be talking to you straight through my regular webcam and throw in a side uh, to a side camera, come back, 
bring up uh, a document we're all talking about is superimpose myself over the document because obviously clearly i like my face <laughs> i think that's what that sounds like there <laughs> and back and forth between them and then right at the very end you know what it's like in any zoom meeting when everybody's saying bye and yeah, you oh, know, uh, yeah. and you're trying oh. to move your mouse find where's that red button for uh, with this you thump one button on the stream deck and you are out of there and so is everyone else. The power <laughs> in one button. Yeah. Absolute uh, power. Yes. Yeah, added to the Emperor line there. All right. Now, I know. I'm thinking of Serverline in Blake 7, and she said maximum power. And you're just looking oh, at me right. now. That's yeah. another story. Sorry. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> none of that was to do really with streaming, particularly. I don't do live gaming stuff for it. Right, right. But over time, uh, I must have four complete different layouts on Stream Deck, a writing, Final Cut one, Zoom conference, Apple Insider, and I can tap between any of them and bring up so many things on the Mac. It's That's just, amazing. I love it. To be I'm looking at your article right now. Do you also integrate this or use it with Keyboard Maestro? Yes, you bet. I'm a keyboard maestro fanatic. I, I, I have used that software for years. I don't think I've scraped more than 1% of what it can do. And yet I'm using it for a, a hundred different things on my Mac. And some of those hundred things are now on the end of a Stream Deck button. Mm. That's great. And what's also cool is the Stream Deck buttons are all digital. And so you can customize the look, the color, the icon, the text that's on the button. If it's an app that you're actually going to launch with a Stream Deck button, it uses the app icon right there on the Stream Deck. So it looks really pretty. Like, And it's visually, you know, someone might ask, well, why don't you just, you know, click on it with your mouse or use Spotlight or whatever. There's something about having a visual representation of an action or just opening an app mm. and you can just tap a physical button to do it. And yes, this is geared towards streamers, but I find it really useful in a variety of cases. I was using it with the software Ecamm Live. Oh, yeah. Ecamm Live is software where you can stream live. That's the whole point. It's Mac software that works incredibly well. Ecamm used to make the call recorder for Skype and all that. But with Ecamm, I actually programmed buttons on the stream deck to switch between cameras, like you were saying. I can go between my camera, my guest's camera, or do the split screen. And I had a button that enabled all of those. And I also had a button where I could share my screen, like you were saying, if I want to show something. But what's also cool is the Stream Deck is an Elgato product. And Elgato makes a bunch of streaming gear. Like if you want to stream or for whatever, game streaming or just you want to live stream YouTube for anything. And I actually got two of the Elgato Key Light Airs. And the Elgato Key Light Air is a, you can control the brightness of these lights the temperature of these lights, and they actually are controlled over Wi-Fi. And so I got two of these to have at the desk. So when I am going to do video here at the desk, these two lights turn on. They have a pretty nice diffuser built in. Yeah, so the Ecamm Live, but and you said you were using what, William? Uh, OBS, uh, one yeah. open broadcasting system, which is very similar. Yes. And not as powerful, but... Um, it's free, free and I'm yeah. kind of I'm really just experimenting with what you can do. I hear a lot of good things about Ecamm and your that split screen thing you just mentioned. That that was terribly appealing. I like that. Yeah. So. And then these these key light airs from Elgato, you control them over Wi-Fi and so the menu icon on my Mac, I can turn these lights on or off, change brightness and change temperature all from that menu bar icon. I don't have to physically touch the lights at all. And then with the Stream Deck I have an on-off button right here on the Stream Deck, and if I tap it, both lights turn on at the brightness that I have set and the temperature that I like, 
and it's just ready to go. And I press that button again and the lights turn off. And again, it's a small thing. Well, why don't you just flip the light switch on and off or just click the menu bar icon. But when you do a live stream or you record a podcast, there's so many small steps you have to remember. You know, you have to remember to open this app to record, open this app to make the call, open this app to do your notes, open this app to message the person, whatever. And having just a button that can do some of those steps for you and you don't have to think about it is really cool. And so Stream Deck, two thumbs up. Really love that thing. Okay. Well, any other utilities, William, that you have been using recently that we may not have mentioned in the past, but you just find, I know your keyboard maestro fiend. Yep. I know you love Hazel. Yes. Anything else that you would mention? Uh, have I mentioned Alfred before? Oh, maybe not. Alfred 4. I love Alfred 4. Alfred 4 is like a, it's a fishing and application launcher. It's like a, a bionic version of Spotlight. In fact, I gave yes. it the Spotlight keystroke. I use it for opening apps. I use it for finding things. And there are lots of extras in it that I'm now exploring, like adding to OmniFocus tasks. Um, if you t uh, do this a Spotlight button and start typing the word Wolfram, I can type in a Wolfram Alpha command and it just flings it off to the website and asks Wolfram Alpha these incredibly complicated questions about maths for me. <laughs> you say all of this and you think, well, that sounds nice, but trust me, Alfred is great. Oh, and the clipboard manager oh, yeah, yeah. in it. Uh, the, the number of times that has saved my neck, right. being able to go back to something I copied yesterday and paste. Ah, oh, it's exquisite. I mean, uh, Keyboard Maestro has a clipboard manager that's very good. Yeah, I have so many apps that have bits of things, but it's the Alfred clipboard manager I come back to constantly. Yeah, I mean, it's basically Bartender has been the newest one for me. I've been using Hazel, Hazel updated for M1 and all that. And so I still love that. But yeah, I would say check out Bartender, check out Hazel, Text Expander. I still always go back oh, yeah? to Text Expander. Yes. If you've never used Text Expander, you got to do it. No, I do. I have it. Although I honestly, I've considered dropping it because again, Keyboard Maestro does it. And there are certain cases where Keyboard Maestro is actually handier for different reasons. But right, I pay right. my text expander subscription uh, every month because it always tells you how many days work it's saved. And I think that's suspicious. I type faster than that. But um, I certainly use it <laughs> uh, 60 times a day, at least for different things. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Very cool. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You've heard us talk about privacy and security a ton on the Apple Insider podcast, and that's because we believe it's important. That's one of the reasons why a lot of us use Apple devices. We want our data to be private and secure. But going online, we take little risks every day, whether we think about it or not. Our connection probably won't be interrupted by hackers. Our data probably won't be used against us. But using the internet without ExpressVPN, it's a little bit like driving without car insurance. And why would you take that risk? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, especially like a coffee place, a hotel, or an airport, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data, whether it's your passwords, financial details, or all that. It doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone, just some cheap hardware. Even a pretty smart 12-year-old could do it. And your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. ExpressVPN acts as online insurance. It creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't steal your personal data. They use something called trusted server technology where they get independently audited. Data that goes through their servers is stored in RAM so it gets purged all the time. Super secure, super safe. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. And ExpressVPN is simple to use on all your devices. You just fire up the app, 
click one button and you're protected. That's on your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac. You can even install it on some Wi-Fi router so you know your entire house is browsing the internet securely. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Apple Insider. And you can get an extra three months for free. ExpressVPN.com slash Apple Insider. You'll find a link to that in our show notes as well. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Well, there was a bunch of listener questions and feedback that came in this week. And so I'd love to go through some of these and William offer your opinion as we go through as well. First of all, Craig, who's one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Craig. That's awesome. You can support us on patreon.com slash Apple Insider or right in Apple Podcasts. He was asking for a shortcut to clear your iOS Safari history. You know, if you want to clear your history in the Safari web browser on your iPhone or iPad, it is a number of steps. You have to go to settings. You have to go to Safari. Yeah, I think there's like an advanced thing where you have to click history and then confirm. And so I actually will put a link to this shortcut in the show notes and also a link to an Mac Stories article because this article from Mac Stories shows all of the URL schemes, which is if you create a shortcut and all the shortcut says is open this URL, you can paste the URL schemes from this article and it will go directly to that settings pane on your phone. And so the series shortcut that I will put in the show notes, if you run this shortcut, it'll open up the settings app to the Safari preferences and um, automatically prompt if you want to clear your Safari browsing history. So you can run the shortcut, click one button to clear history, and you're done and you're out. And if you just want shortcuts to any other settings or preference pane in iOS or iPadOS, this uh, Mac Stories article with all the URL schemes is the way to go. So Craig benefited from that. I thought you all would like it too. All right, this next question, this comes from Ian on Twitter. Be curious your thoughts on this, William. He says, I think the Apple Watch needs some love. What do you strategically think it needs, hardware or software-wise, where it will actually have those kind of leaps and bounds improvements or still be like an interesting product? And for the Apple Watch, you know, we saw those design leaks from John Prosser that it might get that square edge design, which is not, you know, earth-shattering or hugely different, but it'd be nice to see something a little different. What would it need to become kind of really attractive again or to be tempting for current Apple Watch owners to upgrade to a new version? I feel like the next big thing on the horizon has to be blood sugar monitoring. I feel like when they get glucose monitoring working consistently and well in an Apple Watch, it's going to change the whole game. And, you know, Apple is really making that push for health services with the Apple Watch. That seems like the next big, big one. And then after that, I think it's just seeing what else they can do with an Apple Watch and monitoring your body and health to really make it kind of a needed device for a lot of people that just having that kind of data all the time is something necessary. And I think that would be the play uh, for Apple. I don't know. What do you think, William? What could be added to the Apple Watch or what would interest you in a future Apple Watch? I'm very happy. I have a Series 4. I like it very much. I I have actually uh, committed. I I told my wife that uh, when the watch has glucose monitoring, I'm buying it. Um, I'll buy us both. Yeah one then i don't think it's going to be this year mm-hmm. but um when it happens that's an instant sell the thing the only thing i miss having a series four is the always on display i would like that to come and i understand uh, the five did it but the six did it brighter so i think there are ways to improve that for things but other than that i think 
Um, maybe I've just got no imagination. Thinner would be nice, but I find it perfectly thin. Thinner is nice, yeah. The one thing I don't like, I always thought I wanted a round face until I had to test a, an Android watch that had a round face. And <laughs> I, I just, I can't believe adults put that product out in the world because mm. in the round face, it would come up with a rectangular dialog box. And you could tell from the dialog box that you had to choose the OK, yes or no button. But the yes or no buttons were off the side of the round face so it's just, okay when that happened that's funny I th yeah <laughs> as you were talking though i think rugged and durability which was one of the other leaks that maybe apple will have some kind of like explorer or adventure sure. model that's very durable durability is definitely one especially for kids or if you have a very active outdoor lifestyle having an apple watch that you don't have to worry about scratches or anything or you know major damage would be really nice and the battery life you know battery life is great i have the series six i do charge it you know, when I take a shower and then I, ch I leave it on the charger when I watch something at night for like 30 minutes. So battery is really good, but future battery technology where an Apple Watch could last days, even when running workouts, even when doing GPS and cellular stuff would be really nice. Maybe even some kind of solar rechargeability. I don't even know if that's possible in something that small of a device, but those kind of features I think would make it attractive, especially for upgraders to say, oh, this watch charges itself or because of some solar charging and durability, it will last five days without having to be on a charger. I think that would be an attractive feature for people. There are wristwatches, aren't there, that charge by the motion of your arm during the day. Right. I have no idea how they would do this. Springs and things, which is a little bit old-fashioned compared to the Apple Watch. But yeah. <laughs> Right. They do have, I mean, you can get like solar charging battery packs on like Amazon where you, you know, put out this solar panel and it, oh, you know, if you leave it out for eight hours, it can charge this big battery and then you can charge your phone or whatever multiple times. So you can get that kind of stuff already, but to have it built into a device like that, I think that'd be pretty cool. All right. This next question comes from Fernando Silva, friend of the show. He's got an awesome YouTube channel where he talks all about iPad stuff. He asked, what is your go-to iOS game and iPad game? Are they the same game or different? And I thought this was an interesting question. I don't play a ton of games overall, just have three kids and all that stuff. And so I'll play Smash Brothers with them, you know. But on my devices, I will say if I want to play something, you know, quick that doesn't take too long, I always go back to threes, which is like a puzzle game where you, you know, try to put tiles together in multiples of three and try to get a high score. And it's a very similar game to that called 2048, same kind of puzzle deal. I do like those. I'll break those out every once in a while. But I will say games that I played on my iPhone for a while, Alto's Adventure, mm. the like downward slope uh, snowboarding game, I really love that. I played both games, the Alto's Adventure and then Alto's Odyssey. I did all the objectives in both of those games. For whatever reason, I loved the visual aspect of it. The controls are so simple. I loved Alto's Adventure. I mainly played these on my phone just because, I don't know, I just that's what you have with you all the time. And the other game I really liked was Jetpack Joyride. It's an older game, but I don't know. I had a lot of fun with that for a while. So I did those mainly on my phone and the game that I would love to play more on the iPad specifically is Fantasian, which is an Apple arcade game based on the Final Fantasy series. It uses those beautiful dioramas for scenery. Playing that on a larger screen is just a, a great experience. So on the iPad, I would love to do Fantasian more on the phone, Alto's Adventure, Jetpack Joyride, Threes, and 2048. I love those games. Do you have any games that you play on your devices? I have one. Okay. Good Sudoku. Oh, Sudoku. Uh, good. I love that. Yes. Um, you're saying about when you 
yeah, I only have a few minutes. Well, there's a basic level, and I can do one of those goes in about two minutes. But there's an expert level, and it took me an hour uh, over the last few <laughs> days to solve that. But oh, the satisfaction! I'm I'm no kind of gamer, but I did notice that uh, Sudoku, good Sudoku is on Apple Arcade. Oh, now. nice! So um, the word is spreading about that great app. Very cool. Can I be honest? I've never played a Sudoku. Oh, right. I don't know. Have you ever watched Ted Lasso? Read the script, saw the special. No, 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 no. You've already talked yeah. about you reading the script, yada, yada. Yeah, you, you, you know what all the jokes are and everything about it. How can you possibly judge a show? from? The, uh, look, it just doesn't do it for me. So, you know, mm. great that mm. it's mm. great, but don't take care. So, when you care. watch Ted Lasso... I'll play Sudoku. Yeah, I not that you not that you care. <laughs> who was it that said in Twitter? You've got to watch. You've got to watch it. Well, after the first two episodes, like, oh right, okay. Uh, Any time someone recommends a series, the next line is apart from the first few episodes, or apart from the first series, or it gets better in the third <sighs> run. It's like, there has to be a something there to get me to come back for more and i haven't got it in ted lasso so far but i know this is only me it's so so what i have the t-shirt now i have the ted lasso t-shirt <laughs> which one did you go for i got the blue one that has the like the two symbols on either side it feels like a lot it has like the crest and the other symbol but i wanted a ted lasso shirt so i got it all right anyway ted lasso you should watch it if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm talking to the listeners now, not you, William. I know you're not yeah, going to watch it. Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, next question. This came from Brian Cabrera on Twitter. He said, would you recommend the AirPods Max as a good choice for a college student who watches content as well as makes films and videos? So this is a complicated question. I actually went to Twitter last week because I've been having a weird experience with the AirPods Max and editing podcasts. These Apple Insider Podcast specifically, because of all the computational audio that goes on in the AirPods, I feel like I wasn't getting an accurate read on equalizer settings and even level settings. So when watching stuff, yeah, the AirPod Max is amazing, listening to podcasts and to music, I love it. But when you're actually editing and making stuff, I feel like I'm now leaning towards the direction of saying, maybe not the best for that. Maybe not the best for creators, especially when you need to Edit EQ, levels, sound effects, all that kind of stuff. So it's a tough question. I would say if you were thinking about getting an AirPods Max, the budget for that, I would instead maybe consider AirPods Pro, which offer the spatial audio, noise cancellation, very portable. I love my AirPods Pro. I use them when I go grocery shopping. I will use them to watch stuff sometimes if I just don't have my AirPods Max and the sound is incredible. So for watching content, and using noise cancellation, I think maybe go with the AirPods Pro. And then if you're creating films and videos and you need headphones for that kind of editing, I'm actually going to recommend something that I heard from Marco Arman, but also Mark Ellis on Twitter. He really helped me out. He responded. We had a little conversation back and forth. I'll put a link to that Twitter thread in the show notes and also his website, markellisreviews.com. But he mentioned the Bayer Dynamic DT770 Pro. Now, this is a pair of wired headphones, and this is why I suggested the AirPods Pro first. Like, you want a pair of wireless headphones for listening to stuff, walking around. Like, maybe the AirPods Pro for that. And then for when you're sitting down, editing, making films and videos, this Bayer Dynamic DT770 Pro, it's like 150 bucks. You can get it on Amazon. It is, again, Mark Ellis recommended this. Marco Arment actually mentioned it on the ATP podcast. 
And so I actually ordered a pair. I'm going to get them next week. And so on the next episode of Apple Insider, I will discuss kind of what I think about them, like a little mini review as an editing content type product, not just listening to stuff, but actually working to edit. So I think that would be my recommendation right now. I'll put a link to all that stuff in the show notes so you can kind of read about it. But uh, that, I think that would be my recommendation. William, you got any thoughts for him? Yes, I have a recommendation too. I've just been going through some video training with a company called Piece of String Media here in the UK, and we should give the link to them. Uh, yeah. The, the uh, filmmakers there, Nick uh, Fogg and Mike Smart, they were talking very specifically about editing in Final Cut Pro, and I had certain audio problems, and they recommended that I, I ditch my AirPods Pro and go for a Sony MDR7506, which is in fact what I'm wearing right now. And you are distinctly clearer mm. uh, over a wired connection than over AirPods. I mean, I love my AirPods Pro, but working with the Mac, I was finding they were just disconnecting every now and again. So that was a frustration, but also my sound qualities, my editing is better over wired. So yes. uh, I still prefer the way AirPods make you feel as if the world is full of music around you. <laughs> and here I'm very conscious of the weight of these things. I mean, they're light, but they're obviously heavier than AirPods Pro. But I, I love the crispness um, yes. of it. So I'm with you, go for wired. Although I still do secretly lust after AirPods Max. That's just... For sure, for sure. Well, very cool. We'll put links to that in show notes. Next question this is from Darren on Twitter. He asked, do you think Apple will ever let us place icons anywhere on the home screen, even if they still snap to a grid? And this is something, especially with the occurrence of widgets now that we have in iOS 14, it's a little maddening that the icons still snap like top and to the left. Like you can't put one icon on the left and one icon on the right with two spaces in the middle. It's a little frustrating. Will they ever do it? I feel like yes. I mean, the Mac has a snap to grid icon where you can snap it to the grid and not have them like shoved up against each other. I don't know if it's going to be iOS 16, 17 or later. I hope eventually they do it. I think they will. But there is somewhat of a workaround. Elvis on Twitter actually tweeted the link to this and I'll put that in show notes. But if you use like a black background wallpaper on your iPhone, you can create shortcuts that don't do anything, but use a flat black icon with no title as the home screen icon. And if you put those in between your apps, you can actually have it look like your apps are spaced apart and that are not right up against each other. I did that for a while because I wanted to have like a symmetrical home screen, which I feel like a lot of people might want. And so it's a little bit of a workaround. You can't use colored wallpapers or images because then you'll have a bunch of like black squares in between your icons. But it's a little bit of a workaround. I'm with you, Darren. I hope they do that eventually. I'm not with you. Sorry, I like the grids. Really? Yeah. Uh, and who has the room on the screen to, to create gaps like that? And if you want symmetry, haven't you got symmetry already from the grid? So, no. But if you have one app in a single row or two apps, you know, they, they go over to the left and you got this big open spot in the, in the right. Buy more apps. Oh, my way. <laughs> <laughs> or use folders. Um, yeah. I, I have occasionally left a bottom row clear on the page, but um, I, I like to have as few screens as possible. So every space really counts for it. I, I don't like the constant searching right. uh, for it. So I really only have two pages and the apps on them are the ones I use all the time. So I'm very happy with the current layout. You're looking okay. at me now. Both of you are. Stop it. Okay. No, no, it's fine. That's fine. All right. Well, We'll put that work around in the show notes. All right, this next one comes from Derek. He was asking, 
Did Steve Jobs and Apple in the beginning stand on privacy, or was their current stance of privacy more of a marketing opportunity or part of their core belief? Seems like a smart, logical move to focus on privacy when every other tech person isn't or tech company isn't. And you know, I think that privacy was in Steve Jobs's like mission for the company from the beginning. I will put a link to an All Things D conference where Steve Jobs spoke. This was in 2010. So this was right after the App Store launched. Although, again, there was a quote from Steve Jobs in that sideloading white paper that Apple released where he talks about sideloading back in 2007, talks about privacy and security then. So I think it was an early belief. But here's Steve Jobs' quote. I'm an optimist. I believe people are smart. And some people want to share more data than other people do. Ask them. Ask them every time. Make them tell you to stop asking them if they get tired of your asking them. Let them know precisely what you're going to do with their data. That's what we think at Apple. So end quote. And you know, I think Steve Jobs genuinely meant that. And I think Apple has borne that out since then. You know, it wasn't as big of an issue back in 2007, 2008. People weren't thinking about it as much. But I think now that it's a serious issue, I think the core company value that was started back then continues today. And it's a benefit to them and to us as the users. Not so much just to be a selling point, although it is, but that is something that company actually believes in. What do you think, William? I agree. I I think right now it suits them and it's to their advantage commercially. But yeah, um, I know as soon as you started to say the Steve Jobs quote, I knew the one you meant because that's a very famous interview with it. And it was before all the kind of attacks on Apple over this and before anybody else was even thinking about privacy. So yeah, I completely believe that Apple means it. I do also think it's uh, a big selling point for them now, but that's a good thing. So yeah, absolutely. All right. One last question. This is from Pablo Felix on Twitter. He says, if Apple releases another version of the iMac Pro, what kind of specs would it need to have to be worthy of the Pro title? M1X chip, more RAM, 12 core GPU, etc. I think To be a pro, obviously it's going to have the M1X chip. Right now, you max out at 16 gigs of RAM in M1 computers. I think that'll have to be 64 at least to be the iMac Pro level. You max out at two terabytes of SSD storage in the M1 Max. I think that has to be at least four in the pro devices. Maybe it'll even be higher than that. Maybe you could max it out at eight. And again, we've seen crazy numbers about what the GPU cores could be on the M1X chip. So I think you have that much RAM you have up to four or eight terabytes of storage plus the M1X chip. Hopefully they put in like an SD card slot. I don't know, with not being on the current M1 Mac, iMac, maybe they won't, but I think those things would make it a pro machine. Is there anything else you would want from an iMac Pro, William? It'd have to come in blue. Mm. It just has to. I'm sorry, that's the deal breaker. (laughs) That's the only reason I didn't spend $50,000 on a Mac Pro. Didn't like the color. So, Oh, that's why. Yeah, that's it. I feel like pro devices, William. I don't know, that'll be a day if we get pro devices (laughs) in colors. I think you're really going to have to hope hard for that one. (laughs) Well, listeners, thank you so much for those questions and comments. Keep them coming. We'd love to do this kind of segment every week on the Apple Insider Podcast. You can tweet at William. And myself, William, is W Gallagher on Twitter. I'm at Stephen Robles. Those Twitter handles are in the show notes. You'll find links to everything we talked about there as well. We would appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts if you could take a moment to do that. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash appleinsider or Apple Podcasts to get an ad-free version of the show and early access every week. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. Andrew and I talk about HomeKit and smart home stuff every Monday 
and Apple Insider Daily, where you get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes. We have some awesome interviews still coming up too over the summer. I'd love to hear from you. Is there someone that you would love to hear interviewed here on the Apple Insider Podcast? Tweet at me at Stephen Robles. I'd love to hear your recommendations there. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.